resurrection truth. And let's pray, and then we'll get into our little study here this morning. Father, we uh, celebrate this morning once again what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us at the cross, as we have sung about. And, and then His uh, resurrection from the dead, proving His triumph over sin, over death, over the grave, over Satan. And so, Lord, as we celebrate that truth this morning, we thank You for the wonderful truth that we don't have to fear death as your people, as believers in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, guide me as I teach, and I pray that we might have ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for over two years, the world has been dealing with the COVID pandemic. Uh, in case you haven't heard, it's been an issue. And yes, it was terrible. I mean, it is true. But the fear-mongering foisted upon the masses was truly incredible, and I think with great consequence. You see, fear, too, is a killer in many secondary ways. Andre Sue Peterson wrote, The wall thermostat of our forced air heating system works on the principle that when the temperature dips below a certain level, the furnace kicks on again. Our city newspaper works on the same principle. It cranks out scary headlines by some calculated mechanism, lest COVID fear dip below an unacceptable level. I don't know how they do it, really. How many ways can you combine the words deaths, hospitals, surge, vaccine, and intensity in a headline every day? And the world was terrified. They were scared to death of death. Ironically, many experts are now saying that lockdowns and mandates have actually been counterproductive when considering all the factors involved. Certainly, we want to be wise, and there is a place for proper fear in the sense of taking prudent precautions, especially if you have uh, special health, health risks. Uh, years ago, famous uh, boxing champion Muhammad Ali was on a plane, and he didn't have his seatbelt fastened. And the stewardess told him, buckle up your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she snapped back, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> we want to be wise. Uh, life is about balance and risk assessment, that's for sure. And I reserve the right to do my own thinking. And I hold that for you as well. Uh, we don't want to be mindless clones in our thinking. Uh, the experts are often wrong. Conventional wisdom is not always right. Neither is it always wrong. And so when it comes to matters of health and well-being, I think we must give space and grace to let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. And yet my point this morning is the fear of death that governs the world should not govern us. There should be a difference between where the world is at and where we are at. Yes, we want to be wise, and yet not dominated by craven fear. Fear defines the world, whereas faith is to define God's people, and that is to make a difference in our lives. Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The fear of death is universal. Now, this has been reflected in the headlines throughout the entire world for the last two years. So I don't have to make that case this morning. <laughs> the world makes the case for itself. People often like to talk big, but in truth, they are very scared of death. 
People keep looking to the so-called experts to to ease their fears concerning the death problem, but it's always kind of elusive. They can't get a hold of it. They can't find it. But this is where Jesus comes in. We read in Hebrews, and here's where I'm going to go this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. He came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This is why Christ came. He came not only to free us from the penalty of sin, but also to free us from the fear of death, which is a form of bondage. And the whole world is held in this bondage, including those responsible for the headlines these last two years. They just can't seem to get over it. The message of death, 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 fear, fear, fear is ever before us. But Jesus brings another message. It's a message of life and peace. Peter, very full of himself, said, even if all the others stumbled, he would not. And he claimed very vehemently that he was willing to die for Christ. Well, Jesus went on to say to Peter, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then a short time later, Peter, fearing for his life, denied his Lord three times. In our human weakness, we have a fear of death. When Satan was dealing with Job, he said, all that a man has, he will give for his life. And I think Satan knows us pretty well in that regard. We cling tightly to life, and when it is threatened, our most natural reaction is fear. Well, knowing our weakness, Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified, he said this to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he went on to say, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Well, Christ left us his peace. He went back to the glory land, but he left us his peace. On what basis? I would contend it was on the basis of, of his resurrection. Yes, Christ's death and resurrection is a package, but without the resurrection, we're left without a living hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. But Christ has risen, and his resurrection truth trumps the fear of death. G.B. Hardy, in his book, Countdown, said this is the ultimate question in the world. Number one, has anybody ever cheated death? Number two, if he did, did he leave the way open for me? And the answer is yes. There is one who has escaped the death trap, and his name is Jesus. And yes, he has made a way of escape for us as well. Death problem universal. What's the answer? Only one answer. It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus made claims that no one else has ever made, and he backed it up with his resurrection. After his resurrection, when Christ appeared to his disciples in John chapter 20, the first thing he said to them was, Peace be to you. And he showed them his hands and his side, and again he said, Peace to you. From there we go to the book of Acts. 
the disciples went from fearfully hiding behind closed doors to boldly proclaiming the truth of the risen Lord. What made the difference? It was the resurrection. And then as we go throughout the book of Acts, the first 30 years of the church age are recorded in that history book of the book of Acts. The dominant theme in almost every chapter in the book of Acts, the longest book we have in the New Testament, is the resurrection. That was the theme of the early church as it rang out everywhere they went, the resurrected Christ. And that changed everything. The idea of bodily resurrection is unique to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Among all the religions of the world, it's unique to those three. And of course, Islam is a Johnny-come-lately, not coming on the scene until the time of Muhammad, 600 years into the church age. And of the two, uh, Judaism and Christianity, Judaism holds only to the Old Testament, while Christianity also holds to the New Testament, with the doctrine of the resurrection being fulfilled and then developed in relation to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Several Eastern religions teach the idea of reincarnation, but that's different than bodily resurrection. Various religions teach some form of afterlife, but none believe in a personal bodily resurrection. You see, all the idolatry of the world is traced back to Babylon and the mystery religions, which developed out of Babylon, which was founded by Nimrod. Now, Nimrod had a wife by the name of Semiramis. She founded the secret religious rites uh, related to the Babylonian mystery religions. And supposedly, in that mix, Semiramis supposedly had a son via a miraculous conception who was named Tammuz. Now, Tammuz, according to tradition, was killed by a wild animal and then restored to life which amounts to a satanic anticipation and counterfeit of Christ's resurrection. And that's just like the devil. He's a deceptive counterfeiter. The devil really never comes up with anything new on his own. He wants to be like God because there's nothing that you can even conceive of that's higher than God. Even so, all the false religions of the world have nothing close to biblical resurrection. It's unique to our faith. And resurrections are very hard to fake. Very hard. Very difficult to fake a resurrection. The thing about Christ's resurrection is that it is rooted in this combination, the combination of prophecy and history. And that is totally unique. We have prophecy given in the Psalms 1,000 years before the time of Christ that his soul would not remain in Sheol, that he would be bodily resurrected. We have the four Gospels, which are historical in nature, and outside that there is secular history that also confirms the testimony of the early church. Even the reality of the early church itself, it came into being right after the resurrection, really affirms that it was the resurrection that spawned the entire movement. This is the great testimony of the book of Acts. All this to say the truth of Christ's resurrection is truly unique. In the annals of history, study the religions of the world, you will find this is so.
It changed everything. We are here this morning because of it. It provided evidence that someone has defeated death and the grave. And therefore, we have answers and we don't have to fear. A key chapter that deals with why we don't have to fear death is found in Hebrews chapter 2. It's in this chapter that we are told that Christ has released his people from the fear of death. Uh, Note just a profile, an overview of Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus is our status changer. In Christ, dominion is restored for mankind. That's ultimately where it's going. Christ will bring this about. He's our substitute. He's our salvation trailblazer. He's our sanctifier. He's our Satan conqueror. And he's our sympathetic high priest. All of this in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to turn there, I'm going to look at just a few high points in that chapter this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 begins with this warning. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which the which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. You see, without Christ, there's no escaping the fear of death and the eternal judgment that will follow. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There's an old parable about death. It's titled, The Appointment in Samara. And it goes like this. There was a merchant in Baghdad who sent his servant to market to buy provisions. And in a little while, the servant came back white and trembling. And he said, Master, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned and saw that it was death that jostled me, she looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Now lend me your horse and I will ride away from this city and avoid my fate. I will go to Samara and there death will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse. The servant mounted it. He dug his spurs in his flanks and as fast as a horse could gallop, he went away. Then the merchant went down to the marketplace and he saw me, that is death, standing in the crowd. And he came to me and said, Why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? Death said, that was not a threatening gesture. It was a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. (laughs) You cannot outrun your appointment with death. But you can reconcile with God through Jesus Christ beforehand and share in his victory over death. And that's what Hebrews chapter 2 is all about and why we don't have to fear death. Jesus is our great representative. He's our great champion that has conquered the grave. This morning I want to consider with you a few verses in Hebrews chapter 2 leading up to the statement that Christ has released us from the fear of death as we find in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Note what it says in verses 8 and 9. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. 
under mankind. God gave dominion to mankind, but, but we don't see everything under mankind yet. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Right now, we don't see the original dominion mandate being fulfilled in mankind. But we do see Jesus, who ultimately will fulfill it on behalf of mankind. You do understand that one day we are going to rule in the kingdom with Jesus Christ. He is going to fulfill the mandate, the dominion mandate that God has given to mankind. And we're going to share in that with him. You see, Jesus is our champion. He is the one that comes forth on behalf of mankind to restore our dominion fortunes. He comes forth as our great representative. He comes forth as our Savior and Lord who writes things in favor of mankind. Now, when it says he was made a little lower than the angels, this is in reference to his incarnation. This relates to him being born a human being, which was a colossal step down from his eternal sonship status in glory. Now, he didn't cease to be the son. He continued to be the son, but he was in his uh, state of humility. And he did this specifically for the purpose of suffering death. Jesus was born so that he might die. As Hebrews 10 indicates, God prepared a body for Jesus specifically to that end that he might be a sacrifice. As we sang, behold the Lamb of God. This is God's Lamb. This is God's provision. This is God's sacrifice for our sins. But his death was not the end of the story. In the resurrection and exaltation, he was crowned with glory and honor. Consistently, the scriptures tie Christ's death for sin to his exaltation. Christ's reward for his sacrifice is his exaltation. In verse 9, it is like the writer runs to the end of the story, culminating in Christ's resurrection and exaltation, and then comes back to add more detail to the fact of his death, saying that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. What a great statement. Christ's death for sin was a grace payment. This is the grace of God on display. Grace means God's favor, his unmerited, his undeserved, his unearned favor. It's an undeserved gift. That's the essence of the cross. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We didn't earn it. It's by the grace of God that he did this for us. If you're looking for a definition of grace... Look no further than the cross. It's a love of God paying for our sins. We are guilty. We should have paid the eternal death penalty. But Christ voluntarily came and took our place. And what specifically does the writer say is the grace of God? Well, that he might taste death for everyone. This is the grace of God. This is the gospel of grace. It's that Christ died for our sins. You know, it's an insult to God to say, we do anything, we make any contribution, any of our efforts, any of our religious exercises, our baptism, uh, sacraments, whatever it is. We don't pay for our sins. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Now we do have to receive him as our personal savior. 
But he has done it all. The gospel is all about what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for God. I refer you to children's moment. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. That formula has, it's all about Jesus. It's not about anything that we have done. It is because of Christ's total payment for sin that we need not fear God's judgment for sin. Christ has taken our judgment, all of it. Hebrews 10, 14 says, By one offering he, Christ, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then the text continues here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The great plan of God, which involves the incarnation, including the death and resurrection of Christ, was designed by God to accomplish various things, including bringing many sons to glory. I love that phrase. This ties back to Jesus by the grace of God tasting death for everyone in verse 9. It ties back to so great a salvation in verse 3. One of the great objectives in the incarnation was for Jesus to bring many sons to glory. It could be accomplished no other way. So God designed a way consistent with who he is and his holiness. Now when it describes Christ as the captain of their salvation... The word captain means pioneer or trailblazer. Christ has gone before us. In effect, blazing the trail to glory for us. And we follow in that train. We're on the way to glory as God's people. Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And we're going to be with Christ and behold his glory. Has anyone ever conquered death? Well, yes, there is one. His name is Jesus. Has he made a way for others to follow? Yes, he is bringing many sons to glory. He's not bringing just a few, but many with him. Heaven is going to be filled with throngs of redeemed saints. In Revelation 7, John saw a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now verses 11 through 13 emphasize Christ's identity with mankind as a human being. He's one of us. Now he's far more than us. He is God and man in one person. But he is at the same time fully human. He openly identifies with us. And it says here that he uh, sanctifies those who are, uh, that he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Note carefully, it's not all people generally that Jesus calls brethren, but only those who are sanctified by him. That is, only those set apart as belonging to him. That's what sanctified means, set apart. We are set apart by union with him through faith in him. Amazingly, he calls us brethren. goes on to say here in verse 12 and 13, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am 
and the children whom God has given me. Verse 12 here is a quote from Psalm 22, which is commonly called the Psalm of the Cross. But in that psalm, we also have the truth of the resurrection. We might break it down like this. This is reflecting uh, what Christ is saying from the cross. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. That's Christ's prayer from the cross. And then you have answered me in the resurrection. And then verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. That's what's being quoted in Hebrews. This refers to post-resurrection on the other side of the cross. During his earthly ministry, prior to the resurrection, Jesus never directly called his disciples brethren. However, now after his payment for sin, he did several times after his resurrection. So it's because of our relationship with Christ as his brethren that we no longer need to fear death. goes on to say in verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Just as being human means that we partake of flesh and blood, so Christ likewise partook of flesh and blood. And he did so that he might die in our place as our substitute, as our representative. And in doing so, he might counteract and conquer the work of the devil. Through Christ's death, he broke the devil's grip on humanity. Christ conquered the power of death through death. You see, the devil holds people through the power of deception. But Christ frees people through the truth of the gospel. As we believe the gospel, we pass from death into life. In salvation, Christ not only frees us from the penalty of sin, but also the power of the devil. And in that freedom, we have been released from the fear of death. And that brings us to our verse in verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The great fear in life is the fear of death. It's called the king of terrors. The fear of death speaks to the reality that we are moral beings with a God consciousness and we fear accountability. We fear death and what happens after death. And that fear is a terrible form of bondage. And that is where people without Christ live. People without the knowledge of the gospel, the good news. If they're honest, dying scares them to death. At least it should William R. Newell writes, From the time you were born, your mother was afraid you would die. The household kept in touch with the doctors through fear of death. Funerals passed your house, often carrying loved ones, filled with dread. The cemeteries you passed cried out, You will soon be here. The philosophers and the poets you read made your life a brief passing moment. And then, death. The human race is today subject to bondage. They may talk peace, But yonder comes the undertaker. But praise be to God. Christ has released us from the bondage of the fear of death. The blood of Christ now cleanses our conscience. Hebrews 9, 14 and 10, 22. Now we know the truth that in Christ there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Romans 8, 1. We know the truth that in Christ to die is gain. Christ has so overwhelmingly defeated death 
that the very term death is no longer really appropriate for believers. The New Testament speaks of it as a time of departure. To depart and to be with Christ is far better. And the New Testament now speaks of the body as sleeping, as it is only a temporary condition that awaits the resurrection. It has well been said that the last enemy is death. We should leave him till last. God gives living grace for the living, and he gives dying grace for the dying. And part of not fearing death is knowing that the promises of God and and believing the promises of God. And what a great comfort this is concerning our believing loved ones who have gone before us into the glory land. I love this. I ran across this. Even for the dead, I will not bind my soul to grief. Death cannot long divide. For is it not as though the rose that climbed my garden wall has blossomed on the other side? Death doth hide, but not divide. Thou art on Christ's other side. Thou art with Christ, and Christ with me. In Christ united, still are we. Ah, I like that concept. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The early Christian martyrs went to their deaths rejoicing as if they were going to a marriage feast. One early historian wrote, quote, when the day of victory dawned, the Christians marched in procession from the prison to the arena as if they were marching to heaven with joyous countenances agitated by gladness rather than by fear. John Wesley was right when he said, our people die well. Indeed, those in Christ die well. It's part of his amazing grace. The whole world lives in fear of death. It's true. They're terrified to death of death. But we as believers don't have to live there. Yes, we want to be wise. It's not like we don't need a seatbelt. We have Jesus' word that we should not be afraid. Here's what he says in the book of Revelation. John, when he saw a vision of Christ, says, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys. I have authority. I have the keys of Hades and of death. So on this Resurrection Sunday... Let me remind you that the resurrected Christ says to you and to me, do not be afraid. Let that sink in. In John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Uh, That's the ultimate question. Do you believe this? Let's stand and have our closing song.